Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you guys a season primer for the team. I'm going to be giving over-unders, three hot takes on the team, and then who to be watching out for. And of course, just like every episode, you guys want to make sure to stick around for a very good offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. But just starting things off, Today is the opening of the NBA season. Have two games on primetime, and then you shift towards, you know, some of the Bally sports games, the Thunder games, once you get to Wednesday, and that is what the Thunder will be doing. They'll be taking on the Utah Jazz. I'll get you guys coverage on that one, just as I will with every other regular season game, but they still get one more day of rest, and there is one more day until we can finally tip the basketball off. So, I want to just hammer down every little thing. I know last year I kind of talked about over and unders, had one of my friends with me in this one. It's just going to be me for today's pod, but we're going to be covering a lot. And it's going to start with the over and unders here. I got seven different things I want to talk about. Some of them are more player related, some of them stat related, some of them not so stat related. We'll just go one by one and I'll kind of give my takes on it. And the first one comes from the win column. This is from DraftKings Sportsbook. They have it as a 23.5 line for total wins for the Thunder this season. So that means the Thunder will need to go 24 and 58 to hit that over. Anything below that, that's going to be an under. Believe that is the lowest you're going to find for any other team in the league. See the uh, Houston Rockets as one of them. They're at 26.5 on here. So I think that's really the only competition. They're magic, I guess. Yeah, the magic. They're the only team technically worse by DraftKings Sportsbook account. They have them at 22.5. But in the West, they have the Thunder dead last. And I've talked about it in multiple podcasts in the past couple of weeks. I think... From a roster perspective, the Thunder probably do have the weakest team in the conference. You look at who would be 14th, you might want to say the Houston Rockets, the San Antonio Spurs might even be in that conversation. Hell, you might want to bunch the Kings in, but there's really no lone wolf outside of the Thunder in terms of uh, direction, I guess you could say, because the Thunder, they do have a really good cornerstone in SGA. We know that. Josh Giddey's looked amazing. Lou Dort's going to be very impactful. But there's so many question marks and there's so much development that's going to be ongoing with this team. Puts them in a much different kind of box than other franchises. And you might say the Houston Rockets, they're looking to rebuild. Obviously, they're not looking to contend right now, right? Like they just got Sangoon. They got Jalen Green. They have Kevin Porter Jr. Those are pretty good pieces. Got to keep in mind, they have Christian Wood, who's a very good center. You also have John Wall. You have a lot of supporting cast members too. Jay Sean Tate's there. You have Eric Gordon, a couple others you can bunch in as well. So, you know, they have some veteran leadership. They have guys that can get them easily over 26.5 wins per game. I might give them the over, honestly, uh, if I were betting on them, but yeah, I think that the Thunder, they're probably in that final position for the Western Conference. And the way that I see it, I see it like this. It's very hard to go below 20 wins in an 80-game season. And I looked back in history, and it's happened. The last time that this was even possible in an 82-game slate was three years ago. And that's the last time there was an 82-game season because you had COVID and then 
Once again, you kind of had cancellations, had a 72-game season last year, so you couldn't get that full effect like what we will be getting this season. So I looked at the stats from the 2018-2019 year, and there were three teams that got below 20 wins. Cleveland Cavaliers had 19. New York Knicks, they were dead last with 17. That's when they were furious about not getting Zion. And then you had the Phoenix Suns in the West at 19-63. and One other team went below this 23.5 benchmark. That was the Chicago Bulls going 22-60. and And that was kind of just a mess for them. I actually thought they were going to be pretty good that year. But anyways, you look at what is on the table now. You got the Magic, sure, in the East. But in the West, it's going to be very cutthroat. And I think the depth is just overbearing. I don't think they're going to go below 20 wins, though. I think it's because they have SGA at their disposal. He got them a lot of wins last year. They were damn near at 500 before that plantar fascia injury. And even though it's very impressive and it showed a lot from SGA... I don't know if the rate is going to be as high as last year. Just because you have the 82 games ahead of you, there's probably not going to be as much roster management because I think 96% of the league is vaccinated. They can still get on health and safety protocols, of course. But I would assume, based on that and the new regulations, that there will not be as many. I'm not positive. Uh, That's just kind of me taking a shot out in the dark right there. But... Yeah, I do think that teams are going to be more prepped, and there's a lot of experience on these other teams. The Thunder, they simply just do not have it. They are dead last, or I guess they're the youngest in the league. That's a good stat to be talking about here. Second one is the Memphis Grizzlies, which pretty surprising. They they do have youth, but they're also very, very good. That's kind of where they want to be stationed at in a couple years, at least for the Thunder. Um, but yeah, my projection... I'm going to take the under barely. I'm going to give them 23 wins. That's going to be 23 and 59. I think based on SGA's play, like I said, they could probably get into the mid to high 20s, 26, 27 might be that benchmark. Um, But I do think they're going to have some major, major issues. The first one's at the center position. You know, there's Marvin Bagley, who uh, we've heard from the agent like, Bagley's not in the active rotation right now. They didn't want to trade him last season because they said there was a lot of value to him. It seemed like they were going to play him based off of that evaluation. Not in the rotation, though. Seems like he wants out. DeAndre Ayton, this is one that I might talk about in the next couple of weeks, but you know he didn't even get a contract from the Suns. They're looking to contend. They're looking to make a title. They're giving Mikael Bridges a deal, which makes sense. That was a good deal for them. But then they pick up Landry Shamit on a contract and they leave Aiton out in the dust. Like, you don't do that. I think financially that's pretty silly. They don't even use their two-way contract sometimes. Um, But he's out right there. You know, maybe you could try to trade for him. That's obviously going to kind of put a halt to the full-on rebuild going on in Bricktown. But, you know, they obviously still have a lot of youth on that team. I think just looking at this base roster, though, taking everything at face value, no transactions, I think that a lot of their issues will just be around the basket. They had Tony Bradley and they had Moses Brown to close out last season. They were respectable enough inside, I would say. Big bodies, they're both seven-footers. When you look at this Thunder roster, you have Derek Favors, who is going to be a very trusty guy. I don't know how long he's going to stay here, and that might lead a little bit into um, you know, the overall win I have here, but maybe some stuff later. I think he's the only true guy there. Mike Muscala is solid, but Derek Favors, he's a pretty good interior defender. Isaiah Roby, he's solid against certain players. He's not going to be able to stop you uh, if you're a post kind of guy. 
I think the same goes with Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and of course we haven't seen enough from him. He has gotten into foul trouble uh, in the preseason and then a little bit in the summer league. I think that's going to get fixed, but I I think the point is they just don't have any true centers right now outside of Derek Favors, so that might sting them a little bit in the long run. And then just the experience thing. I mean, if they're in the Eastern Conference, I would take the over on this every single time because SGA is going to brute force the team to wins. I mean, we saw him last season. We know what he's capable of. He can take over games and you can double team the man, but he's still going to score. One thing though is they're in the West. That's going to be a very difficult schedule uh, up ahead for the Thunder. It's going to be very fun though because of all the moving parts and hell, maybe because of all that, they're just going to make noise out of nowhere and go from a non-national televised team to someone that is going to be on the sports center top 10 all the time and actually collect some wins up in the process i have him at 23 wins though even if there isn't a lot of success in the overall standings column but moving on from the wins i want to talk about the individuals and you got to start out with sga you could go with is he going to be an all-star i think the numbers will correlate um but it's going to come down to team win so I think that maybe they pass on him again I I think he's going to be deserving uh, just like he was last year though but I want to talk about the actual stats from him and you saw what he had last season he was putting up 23.7 a game close to like four rebounds and six assists but you look at his new stat line this is coming from multiple different projections I kind of just take some from sites There's not really a lot of betting lines on the Thunder guys, but take what I see from Twitter, take what I see from you guys giving suggestions, and then take what I see uh, from other alternate sites, uh, and this is kind of what I came up with. So the stat line was 24 points, 5 rebounds, and 6 assists, and this is kind of one of those things where you can tick the knob on all three of them, so it can be interchangeable. I think that he's going to have more than 24 a game. I think he's going to be closer to 25 points. Rebound-wise... I think his cut should go down maybe just one to four rebounds, and that's one where I kind of say it not as confident as the other ones because, look, he's exceeded expectations to this point, and I'd say that a lot of the share goes to a guy like a Josh Giddy or someone like that uh, who can go in, but you also got to keep in mind that, you know, they probably won't have that many centers out there, so he could get a bigger portion. I'm going to put it at four, though. And then for assists, I like it at six. I think he's still going to be leading the NBA in drives, just making a lot of drive and dish passes. Might even go up to seven if you want to round it like a 6.6 or something, just because I think the offense is going to be just focused on it all the time. And the one thing that might come with this that could cause some turmoil is just teams adapting, you know, because there isn't that Al Horford. I still think it's a team where... Even if you put Al Horford on this team, he's going to get a lot of doubles because everybody else on this roster isn't really solidified yet. I'd say Lou Dort is, but you look at a guy like a Baisley, you look at a Josh Giddey, we don't know what to expect from their jumpers. Isaiah Roby, you know, he wasn't in the fold as much with SGA. A guy like a Jeremiah Robinson Earl too, where they're going to be out there taking pick and pop shots. They'll probably rather latch on to SGA the entire 48 minutes um, and then give free shoot around sessions to the big guys. And that's a good strategy. I would employ that as well because, you know, you look at SGA, he is a lethal, lethal finisher, probably top 10 in the league. When you isolate it to guards, he could be top five because he can take hits, but he can also get to the foul line a lot. Look at his step back three. He is a very versatile scorer. So that's why I give him 25. 
comes down to rebounds. You know, it's kind of a crapshoot there. Assists, though, I still like him on that path of six. Big thing, though, that doesn't really associate with the actual points, uh, but it comes from percentages. It's from three. He shot astronomical numbers from downtown last year. It's close to 42%, and it wasn't a fluke. Like, he was taking close to five threes a game, and he was doing it off of step backs, not as many catch and shoots as before, but a lot of step backs just off the dribble. He was torching people up, and he'd get in waves where he'd hit three of these in succession, and then he'd drive in. He'd get 10 consecutive points just out of nowhere, uh, and he'd just be going off. But you look at that 40% benchmark, is he going to hit that again? 40% is elite when it comes to three-point shooters. You know, that's that's right up there with some of the best of the best. We can go to like 35. That's still a pretty damn good shooter. So if you're close to 40, you are a top dog when it comes to hitting shots from distance. And I think he's probably going to slip a little bit below 40 this season. I'd probably mark it around the 38 to 39 range just because... I think, you know, the sample size was cut to, what, 35 games? We saw in the first 35, guys like Teo shooting 50% on catch and shoots. Look at his three-point percentage at the end of the year. It's like 33 or 34% uh, on the catch and shoots. I think catch and shoot might have been like high 30s. But still, like, time and progression over the year can lead to the numbers going down. And I think that might come with him. 38% though is still insane. I think that's going to come from the extra pressure that's going to be applied to him. Uh, and that might turn into more opportunities where he kicks out, goes to the assist column instead. But yeah, I'm expecting that. Maybe even the timeshare with the basketball. SGA was the guy. You know, we were talking about the secondary ball handler all of last season. It was a storyline that honestly um, didn't need one because SGA was great at penetrating the basket, of course. But there really just wasn't a guy there. You know, you pinned Darius Baisley as the guy before the season started. And, you know, he's a good ball handler. He showed it off against Denver in the preseason. But, you know, he wasn't elite during the year. You look at other options to Poku. He was on the bench. I mean, he was he was playing with the OKC Blue uh, for the majority of SGA's time. Or he was just barely playing at all. So you didn't get to see that cut. There wasn't really a true secondary ball handler. Maybe you give it to Teo, but it's Teo. Like, he is very good playing off the ball, and that's what he did all the time until he was literally forced to be that number one ball handler. So there wasn't that option, but now Josh Giddy, you know, he was selected to be that secondary ball handler. Does it at six foot eight? I mean, he's going to see over everybody. We've seen the razzle-dazzle passes he can make. You're not going to cut the reps from him. You know, maybe... He's out there playing like a Teo. He's going to be the number two guy, but you also want to see him in situations where he's the one on the ball and maybe SGA is off the ball. So that can change things a little bit in terms of the amount of shots we're going to see from him. Uh, but also, like I said, the success rate because he will get a bit more pressure. Still think he's going to be absolutely dominant this season though. Moving on to another three-point discussion, it's going to be Darius Baisley and Darius Baisley, you know, he had a roller coaster of a sophomore campaign. The freshman year, there weren't really that many expectations. Like, he had that really sweet bubble stint where he's shooting mid-30s from downtown, and everyone's given him uh, kind of that praise to where, you know, last year he was supposed to be that secondary ball handler, and he was going to be a three-level scorer, too. Didn't really do that. He shot 29% from three, taking above five a game. 
Uh, and now you kind of look at him like, hey, this is a make or break season. You have Poku, who it looks like Poku is going to be the six man anyways. But if Poku starts turning up the heat, you might want to start giving Poku the starting bid. And then Darius Baisley's looking at the second unit, trying to kind of work his way back up. And I think the number one way that he's going to climb up the rank and really just stay in his position is getting the three-point shot down. And I'd say a good benchmark is around 32%. That's where you can start to differentiate from someone that you want to play off the ball and maybe someone that you got to work a little bit more diligently in uh, kind of play calling. So 32%, that's solid. That's where I've seen projections with him. I think he's still going to hover around 30%. And I hope, I hope he hits the over on this because Darius Baisley does need to get that three-point shot. He looked good against Denver, like I said, but you look at the other preseason games, he wasn't hitting shots. He looked somewhat confident, um, but you know, you didn't have something like Lou Dort where he's shooting 63%, taking all these three-point shots across, what, three games that he played? So, you know, I hope he hits it. I just think though right now it's going to take a lot of time and I'm sure that was his number one priority. He needed to get the shot down over the summer. I say 30% is where you're at. Maybe a little bit less threes a game for him. Yeah, it's just kind of how the cookie crumbles and you want to see him hit because him making shots, it opens up his game. This is one of the things I just kept ringing on all last year, but it holds up. You look at his slashing ability, you know, you play him at power forward, defensive side, whatever, we're tossing it out. He's going to be faster than your normal four in the NBA, and if he turns that corner because, you know, you got to respect him from three, then you get that half step, you get that single step. We saw how he operated. He looked so smooth off of hop steps, euro steps last year, and that's how he racked up the close to 20 point performances in the final 10 or 15 games off that injury. You know, he was a good finisher, but you got to create those opportunities for yourself. And if you're getting sagged off on the entire game, you're going to be closed off before you can really even start anything. You can't force it either. You just got to take that three or kick it out. Uh, and you want him to kick, uh, not just kick it out, but you want to see him hit the threes. Uh, and then you start seeing people tighten up and then you get to see kind of his full forte uh, when it comes to him uh, with the basketball in his hands. So he's a very special player, but you know, his keys really are just sitting there. It's all kind of gravitating around, you know, if he gets that three-point shot going and then put those keys in, get to see everything in his game. And, you know, there is some sights to behold in there. I'm going to put him at 30% though. Want to see an improvement for sure. Going beyond him, want to talk about Lou Dortz. He was a very good scorer in the preseason, led the team uh, post what was it, post-SGA injury and points, and then he was the second highest scorer on the team at 14 a game last year. Is he still going to be that? You know, you have some contenders. Josh Giddy is there if he has an impressive rookie season, and then you go beyond that. Maybe Bays erupts. Hopefully, you see him erupt at least. I think those are the two main people uh, that might be around that spot, but you know, I still think he's going to hit that second highest score on the team. SGA's number one, have him at 25. I'm going to give Lou Dort 16. I think he ticks it up two more notches just because that preseason play. I mean, he's going to be very lethal from downtown. He might even lead the team in three-pointers attempted just off of that. And I think he's going to be just the number one guy off the catch and shoots. You know, if SGA's driving or Josh Giddy's driving, 
you know, if Giddy's driving, you probably would want to hit SGA, of course, but if SGA's not there, Lou Dort is probably your number one guy, and typically he's the person at the corner, or he's going to be at like the right wing, and he just feasts upon those shots. People have not respected him to this point. Maybe they'll adjust, and maybe that will impact his actual, you know, shooting splits once we get into the regular season, but all last year, People wanted to test him, and they got their ass handed to. He could hit down shots. I think he can do it again this season. I think you're looking at him going mid-30s from downtown. He shot around 33 34% from distance last year. If he can hit above the mid-30s, like 37 38 that's when you start talking about him being just that dominant, dominant force. And I think that's kind of the first layer to his offensive game at this point. When he was selected, he wasn't supposed to be a three-point shooter at all. You know, he's meant to be a finisher around the basket. I still like him as a catch-and-shoot guy first, uh, but the second layer is that finishing ability to where, you know, if you're tightening up on him, he is big enough, and he's going to get in front of you, and then once he has that clear path to the lane, he's just going to completely box you out, whoever's behind you, and he's going to make it a one-on-one thing uh, with that second level of defense. And Playmaking-wise, we didn't see a ton of like drive-and-dish things from Lou Dort, but he can just go head-on with the center, and I'm, I'm putting my faith in Lou Dort, man. Like He is a linebacker. He's 240 pounds, looks that way at least, and yeah, he'll, he'll initiate contact, he'll get a foul, or he'll just go up and he'll get the baskets to go in. There are a lot of high-difficulty uh, high shots that went in for him last year, so I'd say 16. Three-point shot, I'll give it 36%. Why not give him a couple extra uh ticks on that one too moving on though i want to talk about the rookie josh giddy and i'll talk about him in a little bit again but just when you're talking averages you know he had a very unique rookie campaign last year in the nbl he averaged like 10.7 7.5 and 7.4 he was all over the place and then in the preseason too he was one of the top rookies in the class averaged 13.5 seven rebounds and five assists across his four appearances playing like 29 minutes too i think he'll probably get that kind of cut in the regular season too um, but now you look towards him playing at that extra level you know not preseason play where you're playing against the bench unit this is the real deal that he'll be facing i think the averages that i've kind of racked up they have him around like 10-ish, 11 points. I think that's a bad bar to set. I'm going to put it at 12, 5, and 5 just to begin with. And I think he actually exceeds it in some columns and others might drop down a bit. I think he's going to average 13 points, 6 rebounds, and 3 assists. Maybe even rounding up to 4, like 3.6, 3.7, something like that. I think just based on his play, he looked very, very good uh, when it came to driving inside. So, he can get him bunches points. Like there were quarters where he'd get eight points going like four of six, but you put a microscope on that quarter. He went four of four in a span of three minutes, just taking driving layups and floaters. I think we're going to see a ton of that from him this season. And he's going to be a positional nightmare for some people. So he'll get inside and then I think he'll get a decent amount of fouls too. So if he's not hitting it from three, he can still bolster it up and get up to those averages of 13 points per game. And if he does get that third level unlocked from three, yeah, he's easily hitting that 13 point mark. Um, the scary part is, of course, you know, if he's not hitting all these shots, is it going to look like a Baisley situation where 
SGA might get screwed over. You know, he kicks it out to Giddy. He can't hit a three, and Giddy's out there. You know, he has a good five feet of distance on his defender, and he's looking at slash inside. Like, you know, even though Giddy's a masterful passer and a very good ball handler, that might not work uh, really to the effect he wants it to. So he'll need that three just like a Bayes would. I still like him, though, when it comes to just attacking the basket. I think he could find it just on isolations, really. So I love him there. I think off-ball is going to be that key factor. Rebound-wise, you know, he's 6'8". He says he's 6'9". If he's 6'9", that's great. You know, he could play center for the team because Roby and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, they're kind of right there at the 6'8", 6'9 range anyways. So put him there. He was a very good rebounder, really everywhere he's been in the NBL, in the preseason. He was crashing the boards. I think he's going to continue that with the Thunder. And then assist-wise, this is the one where it's the wild card. And I said three, maybe like a little bit above 3.5, so you can kind of push him up to the four range. You got to look at SGA. I mean, SGA is going to be the aficionado. He is the number one option. Josh Giddey's the number two option, though. And he is a very, very lethal passer. He was throwing passes that he should not have been throwing. You know, obviously, actually, yes, he should have been throwing them because they were perfect. But you would never see it. I don't think I could envision those passes. Probably 98% of players in the NBA were not going to be throwing the same passes as Josh Giddy. His reads are insane. And I think that's going to result in a lot of fun kickouts if he does drive in and draw attention from some defenders. So he'll be an up and down guy where I think he would maybe place like seven or eight assists in one game. And then he might play in the shadows for a bit, get like two or three assists. So I'll bump it up to four. I just talked myself into it. I'd say four assists there. But yeah, he can really be up and down in all three of those columns where he could go off, have a tangent where he drops 18, could also get like 11 rebounds off a game. And then even assist wise, he could breach the double digits in that area too. He's just a very, very fun player and he will get minutes because of what is going on with the Thunder currently. Another dude who is kind of in that mold for the Thunder, they want to see progression from him, it's Alexei Pogoshevsky. And you got to look at him as a scorer. You saw against Denver, he drops 22 points. He was hitting threes like nobody's business. Unfazed, taken from the top of the key, dribble handoff, nothing but net, does it three times in a row, and then bull bulls up in his face because he's furious, right? Uh, and there's other games where the other three preseason games, for example, he's shooting like two of 14. And you don't have to worry about him. And there's memes on Twitter about not how bad he is, but just like nightmarish it can become watching him in some games. And I don't want to use that term. Like I'm using it kind of loosely, but like, yeah, when he gets in that little phase where he's breaking shot after shot, obviously I'm happy. I want to see him take jumpers. I want to see him do whatever he wants. Like half court shots with Pokashevsky, it's invited by me, but some people want to see the high percentage looks. If he's not feeling it, they want to see him pass the basketball. And you can kind of just get in that cycle where he's just missing shot after shot. And it's like barely off the mark. And it kind of becomes a hard watch to some extent, right? So you do not want to see that from Poku like whatsoever, but it happens with him. And I think it's going to be kind of part of the package deal that we see with him in the upcoming season. I have it as, is he going to average over 10 a game? I think the answer is yes. I think he's closer to like 11 or 12, just based on the output that we see from him when it comes to shooting. Like we saw in the Nuggets game, like I said, always got to go back to it or just those games where he's feeling it or not feeling it. He'll take a look 
you know, take some 0.2 seconds to realize he'll shoot the basketball. And when he scores 25 in that game, you have people making full-on breakdowns for like 20 minutes on how he took it. And hey, you know what? I'm in that party. I remember when he went off for like one of the first games last year. I made a whole post on it on my site. And um, it's just because it is cool. You know, he's, it's kind of unique to where he's seven feet tall and he can make a decision like that. But also when he takes three of those a game and all of them hit back iron, people are going to be furious about it and say he's a bad decision maker. You know, you just kind of get pinned based on if it goes in or out. If you make it, you're an elite decision maker. If you brick it, you're the worst in the NBA. So we're going to see it where he is up and down. I don't think he's going to stay consistent at all. I think he's going to shoot probably around Baisley numbers in terms of percentages, but he is a very tantalizing player. With the six-man role, I actually think that he probably will lead that second unit in terms of shots taken up there because you have Ty Jerome, you have Teo, Trey Mann's there. Who's going to lead out of that bunch? I'm not sure, but I think regardless, Alexia Pogoshevsky is going to be a staple off the bench, might even play with the starting group. And because of that, he's going to be taking a lot of shots per game. And even if the splits aren't good, he will still be stuffing that uh, stat sheet, you know, once every three games. And that's all he'll need to breach uh, 10 points per game. And then moving on from him, I just want to talk about the team in general and more of just the franchise moves because we know where they're at. We saw them in the offseason. They were wheeling and dealing when people didn't expect them to. Like they traded away pick number 16, traded Sengun out for two protected first round picks. They got Derek Favors in, but they also got a pick with it. You know, they're making moves last year where they'd trade away LeCue to get a second round pick and TJ Leaf. Just anything like penny pension damn near with these picks, Presti was going to do it. And I don't think the motives have changed, like just based off of what we've seen, like I said. And they ended up making three midseason trades last year. They made the one with Hamadou Diallo. They made uh, the one with Tony Bradley. And then they had the one where they shipped off Trevor Reza to get Myers Leonard and I think like a second round pick. Obviously Leonard, like he was gone, uh, but they got a second round pick out of it. So just trades like that, and I still think we're going to see it from them. Now, are there going to be three? I think there's less maybe moving parts on the roster. With Ariza, you knew he was gone. Darius Miller knew he was gone, but you know he didn't really attract the trade market. And then you had a guy like Al Horford, uh, where you definitely knew he was gone. He didn't get traded during the regular season, but you know he got sidelined because they were prepping to trade the man. So, you don't have that on this team. I think the only guy in that grouping like a Horford is maybe Derek Favors because he is 30 years old. He's not going to really have that same market though. I think that he's going to be a sturdy bench player for contenders. He can do it right now and I don't think it's a question maybe like with Horford where they didn't even think he was a good player. Derek Favors is a good player and I think every GM should know that but are you going to pay 10 mil over the next two seasons for him? Are you going to need to ship off a pick in order to trade off Derek Favors? I think he's going to get enough value back because I do think he will be starting to begin the season and he will be pretty damn productive next to SGA. But I think he's either getting waived or traded. So I'm going to say he gets traded. Maybe you get a bad contract in, get another pick with it, and just restart the cycle uh, yet again. And then also, I think the guards, uh, you got to monitor, uh, monitor it because... You have SGA. Josh Giddy has now proven that he will be that two guard. And then you look at the bench unit. You still have Ty Jerome. You have Teo. 
Trey Mann. You pick him uh, when there's a lot of depth in this draft class. And then even a guy like Vit Kredge, who is a point guard, I think you could probably get by putting him at the two or the three. But a guy like that who's on the up and up, and even a guy like a Wiggins maybe, who I think is going to get upgraded. I don't know if he really digs into minutes right now, but you always got to keep it in the conversation. Like, you know, you're only going to find 96 minutes between those two positions, and I don't really know if you want to be throwing out three guard lineups all that often. Maybe you play Giddy at the three, um, but that's about it. So I feel like it's going to be just a battle to the death, damn near. And maybe at the trade deadline, you orchestrate one of these Hamadou Diallo trades where Diallo wasn't bad per se, but they had other needs. And the need was a sharpshooter. Sfi was a very good one, Diallo. He's not a shooter, but he's very athletic. You might want to make a deal to get a front court piece. And if you're making that kind of deal, they're going to want a legit asset back. And all three of those, Man, Teo, or Ty, are going to be serious assets. And they're all three pretty good. When you look at Trey Mann, he has a lot of potential on him as well. Same with the other guys, really, because they are uh, relatively young. But that gets you to two. And then I think there's just going to be that wild card where they slip into like a four-team deal. Why not get an extra second-round pick or the trade rights to some random European guy? That's what happened with uh, Vasily Micic. And you look at him now, this dude's like the best guy overseas. And everyone was jawing about him for two months last year. So, you know, you really can't count that out with uh, Sam Presti. But those are the kind of over and under and just discussion things I have on this team Going to give you guys some bold predictions and some exciting players to watch. But first, I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. NFL fans, hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Here is all you have to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit required and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving right along to the bold predictions for this upcoming season. I wanted to limit it to three just because I think we've touched base with them, and if not, we're going to talk about them throughout the regular season. But I want to limit it to three, just the more hot takes maybe. And the first one comes from Vit Kredge. I have been talking about Vit since they picked him last November, I guess it was. Very, very cool player. Don't know how he slid to 37th, I think it was, in last year's draft class. Six foot eight point guard, very good finisher, looks like a decent shooter, and his playmaking ability is off the charts. Just got recovered from the ACL injury. We didn't even get to see him in the summer league or the preseason because of visa issues. It's very complicated, I guess, because they've known and they've awaited his presence for like a year. 
but he's cleared now. He's going to be able to play on that day one roster. I think he's going to start with a blue though, but the big take is I think by the end of this season, he's going to be getting rotational minutes and he's going to be looked at as one of those other chips in this major rebuild. So you look at the guys, you have SGA and Giddy as the front men, of course. And then you look at some of the other dominoes, you know, the Lou Dortz, maybe the Baisleys. Um, you put them on another side, but look at someone like a Poku or a Teo or a Trey Mann, right? Like that grouping right there. I think that Vit Krejci joins that group as someone who has a lot of potential and is just so, so unique. You want to have a war chest of these tall playmakers, and that's what Sam Presti has been doing. That's what he did in selecting Josh Giddy. That's what he did in taking Alexei Pokashevsky, and that's what he did in taking Vit Krejci, six foot eight slasher who is a dominant passer. I don't think he's going to be reliant on athleticism that much. It's just all about intangibles and skill when it comes to throwing the ball around. He is able to do that. You look at his clips from Zaragoza. Yes, he had minimal reps, but he was still able to make a whole entire scouting video from like eight games. That's pretty damn telling in terms of if he can do all that in one sample size of eight games, what he can do in an OKC blue jersey for 30 games, and then he transitions to the Thunder, maybe plays 20, 25 there. And you get to see his true colors. He's going to have a lot of special plays. And I think he's one of those more grounded players. I think he's a very good passer. But he's not like a Poku where he's just making lousy passes sometimes or taking errant shots. He's level-headed when it comes to that uh, based on what I've seen. And, you know, he does have some loose ends. Like he does need to sure up from distance just because we haven't seen near enough from him. But... I can tell you right now, he's a very good off-ball presence if he gets that three-ball going. As a slasher, he was a great, great backdoor cutter. When you look at his baseline plays, he was a beast. He's ready to take it right at you. He didn't get foul calls with Zaragoza. I think he gets those calls in the NBA if they are calling them correctly because he's just a foul magnet there. I think he can cash in the chips from the free-throw line too, so tap into another guy who's going to be useful on that bench unit. Look at Vit Krejci as an underdog, and I'll definitely be talking about him when he plays with the blue. Uh, It's expected that he does, at least. Moving on, though, to another jumbo guard, you have Josh Giddy, and I think he's going to rank in that top three of Rookie of the Year voting, and it's going to be cutthroat because you do have Cade, you have Jalen, and then you have the guys like Jalen Suggs, and you have Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes. I think Josh Giddy falls right in line there. Number six pick in this draft class. I think he jumps up to three. I think he probably outclasses Barnes in terms of voting. Jalen Suggs is the difficult one, and then you have Evan Mobley. It'll probably be a toss-up. I think he definitely gets by Barnes, though, and is in that top five. I'm going to give him top three benefit of the doubt though just because his stat line is going to be so spread out I look at him and kind of compare him to a Tyrese Halliburton Halliburton averaged like 13 3 and 6 or 5 it was 13 3 and 5 last year and I think he was third in rookie of the year voting because you had LaMelo you had Anthony Edwards and then you had him Cade Cunningham he's going to be the star of the show with Detroit same goes with Jalen Green You look at the others, Jalen Suggs is the only person that might be in that group because with Cleveland, you know, Evan Mobley's not the only star there. They have Garland, they have Sexton, it's a lot of different pieces. And then the same goes for Scotty Barnes too. I think his situation 
uh, makes him maybe not as prone to the stats that a Josh Giddy could see. And Josh Giddy should have infinite avenues to having a successful rookie campaign and really just stuffing that stat sheet. And that's one thing that these voter uh, voters love. You know, if you're dropping 10, 5, and 5, you're going to garner votes. They want to see you really, really beasting in all three categories for points, rebounds, and assists. And he's six foot eight, playing point guard, should be distributing a lot. I don't think he's going to hit it, like I said, when it comes to assists, but 13, what, 13, 6, and 4, or 13, 6, and 3, I had it, might want to round it up, that's going to get you votes, and I think that's going to give you enough, Jalen Suggs, though, that's the toughest contest that you're going to find with him, he's just going to have so many different ways to impact the game, though, this season, and I think one of those has got to be triple doubles, I don't know how many we're going to get from him, if he gets multiple over the season, that's something that you put on the accolade list. That's something that might get you more votes. I think by uh, the end of the season, he'll probably be the youngest guy to record a triple-double. And this is something that's been reiterated really everywhere. But he's got 60 regular season games to do so to be the youngest. You know, After game number 60, then you're tied with LaMelo. And then after that, you're not going to be there. But second youngest dude in the league. Almost had a triple-double in preseason play. I anticipate that it happens this year at least once and that it happens in the first half just because he's going to be in the forefront of the Thunder offense and if he's hot and if he's distributing well then he's going to be settled. I think points and rebounds should be covered. It's just a matter of is SGA going to have the ball in his hands the entire time and if the answer is no is Josh Giddy going to be the one playing that SGA type role where he will be able to distribute whenever he feels like it and he's a very good passer so that's why I expect him to hit a triple double in the first 60 games next thing though I think the Thunder are going to rank top 10 in three-pointers attempted and they were close to this last season they were 13th Average 35.1 per game. I think they jump up closer to 39, maybe even 40 a game, just because the new roster construction, you don't have those traditional fives anymore. Moses Brown wasn't taking a three. Tony Bradley, I think he took one. Uh, I remember him taking one and it hit the side of the backboard, top of the key. Not happening again, right? And you take those two out, you plug in Roby again, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Derek Favors, he's probably not shooting threes all that often, but you have Mike Muscala as that safety net. And Mike Muscala, that's his bread and butter. That's why he was signed outside the veteran leadership, of course. Like he is an NBA player because he's one of the best sharpshooters at that four and five spot. And he'll be able to do that. I think so will Roby and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And that's just going to pump everything up. That's going to get you to almost this five out level offense where there might be a high ball screen. There might be uh, some screens set it like the wings, but ultimately the end goal is going to be a three-point shot somewhere, uh, whether it's a driving dish or it's off of a really good play design. The setup should probably result in threes, and you look at the starting unit, uh, you have SGA, he's going to have those guys uh, to kick it out to off the pick and pops, but also Lou Dort is a very, very good catch-and-shoot player. Darius Baisley, he's going to be open likely off of these shots. He should be taking those corner threes. So should Josh Giddy, And then you look at the second unit where there is no SGA. There is no Josh Giddy, But Teo, he's been around the team. He led the team in minutes last year. Ty Jerome, kind of the same exact story. They're very smart when it comes to handling the basketball. They're very good at penetrating and then making those reads. And you look at who they're going to kick the basketball out to. You know for a fact 
either Roby or Jeremiah Robinson Earl will be there as that five. Then you look at Pokashevsky, who's going to take the shot really regardless, right? Um, and then maybe you look at the others, if it's Teo, if it's Trey, just somebody. They're going to be taking shots. This whole team has really just rallied around being able to hit three-pointers. And you look at the transactions they've made, they back it. You got Paul Watson Jr. in the two-way contract. His bread and butter, just like Muscala, was three-point shooting. He talked about in training camp, three-point shots, you know, that's kind of why he's in the league right now. Shot like 48% with the Raptors last year. And if he plays, he will be taking three-pointers with them. So I think they get juiced up into the top 10 there. Percentage-wise, honestly, I'm not sure. I think it's just a big plus that they want to look at the threes, though, uh, with a team like that and with so many different playmakers who can make those open shots. But going back to the players, I want to talk about the five most exciting players to watch. And the first one is just my bias. It's just giving that one shot, you know, the Yurt 7, the Browns, the Rob Edwards is like those kind of shots where I'm just praising them because they're with the blue, right? Like I'm all about the underdogs here. I think Vid Crutchy's the underdog and I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be watching a lot of the blue games. I think the blue will be pretty entertaining based on how they filled out the roster to this point. I think he's going to be very fun to watch there. And then just seeing him move up into the thunder realm. Like he is that secret piece where he fits everything. The thunder have been scouting, have been drafting right now, and he has the serious potential to rise, like I said, into a core member of that second unit, and he's going to be playing major minutes with the OKC Blue, at least he should be playing that, and then you get to kind of evaluate him as an NBA player, but yeah, he will have those exciting games, and I think the stat lines with the OKC Blue are going to be some headlines um, in a couple of months now, but going beyond him, Lou Dort you know, he's not really a flashy player. He's not exciting, but he always manages to get the job done. I still think he's going to hit 16 points per game. He will have those quarters where he's just unconscious from the three-point arc. And I think offensively, he has major potential to grow into a three-level scorer. I think he has been one, but he's improved significantly from the looks of it from three. I think the same can be said and can happen when it comes to him driving or pulling up from the mid-range. And number three, Gotta give it to Alexei Pokashevsky. Look, he's very up and down, but the potential is there, all right? Like, when we see the bad games, you gotta see through it. You gotta get prepared for that game where he drops 20, and then you think about him as an all-star, him being the next unicorn of the NBA, and it's all sunshine and rainbows and brick town. So, I'm looking at him just like that. You know, he's still really young. He doesn't turn 20 until the end of the season, or the end of the year, uh, the calendar year. Um, but yeah, like seven footer, seven, three wingspan. Don't even know if he's 200 pounds right now, but just the tape from last year makes him so damn special, man. And you just want to see success from him. If he's able to cement himself as a consistent scorer for this team, he's just dangerous. And you put him in the starting unit, you just let his wings go and you reap the rewards of it. And number two, got a guy who's already spread out his wings and gained the reps it's Josh Giddy. You want to see those hybrid guys. You want to see the six foot eight combo guards playing small forward if he needs to. I like his chances to make some noise league wide this season, and I think his stats are going to be insane. I already talked about his game like all this podcast, but 
just think about the passing man like the passes he made in the preseason we'll probably see that on a nightly basis and he does it while recording like zero turnovers over the game which is just remarkable for a 19 year old so I think right now he's a great passer but just look at him and evaluate him by the end of the season I think he's going to be much improved and that's kind of a scary thought when you know he just turned 19 years old number one you know who it is it's the guy who has all-star aspirations in SGA, gave you the 25-point-per-game stat line. Look, he's only 23 years old. Every little site that you look at now for the under-25s, they should have SGA in the top eight. I've seen him like at five and six at some sources. He's serious, and he's going to lead this team to wins just like last year. He's going to create some headlines for himself, and I think he will have nights where he's dropping 30-plus, and he just looks like the guy on this team because, well, simply put, he is. I think he's still going to have that role to where he might still lead the NBA in drives per game. We'll see how he divvies it up with Josh Giddy, of course. But yeah, just watching him, seeing him work maybe out of double teams. And then, you know, he gets all those reps now of getting doubled. Wait until this whole team forms around him to where you can't double team him and then he's gonna look like a monster he already does look like one so he's gonna be the person selling tickets he's gonna be the one making highlights and he's gonna be the one getting wins to the thunder this season but the season kicks off tomorrow i should get you guys a preview in the next one and then obviously the recap regular season has finally started coverage has kicked back up for the Thundersticks podcast. But for today's episode, that is going to do it from me. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.